be incredibly brief today. I know you're really sad when you hear that. Um, I was thinking about how last week, we were on a mission trip, the week before that, I spoke at a camp at Trevecca Nazarene University for a group from Alabama. So I was in Nashville for a group from Alabama. I know, they're from Alabama. That's why it was probably confusing where they were supposed to meet. Um, but, but here's the reality as I was thinking about this day. It's good to be home. I never knew how much I like air conditioning until I tried to sleep. So for those of you who don't know, when we landed in Puerto Rico in San Juan, um, I started sweating when we left the airport. I didn't stop sweating for a week until we got back to the airport. Um, I never knew how much I like, well, I took cold showers there every day, but a shower head, it's a pretty cool thing, right? You learn all kinds of stuff um, on trips like this. And so I was thinking about how um, even yesterday, we, we got on a bus that was designed for 44 people, and we had 50 people plus luggage. Yes, you can picture that in your head. It looked like Tetris. It was pretty cool, um, or hot and tight, and it is what it is. But I was thinking about how the reality for all of us is this, that we need certain people in our lives that are able to do something. So you heard about Mitch and Brian and Drew and Craig and others. I'm glad they're in my life because um, I, I would like to, there were some pictures that I'm disappointed that didn't make it. Like I was using power tools and I was on the roof and, um, huh? Well, maybe, but, and, and um, my foot was the one being clean because that's because Heather left paint on the floor that I stepped in. Uh, and we didn't want to track it through the house. But I was thinking about how this is a unique mission trip for some of us in, in this way. We were given, um, the mayor's assistant showed up the last night, gave us a certificate from the mayor of Cantano, where we were. Um, the church gave us some stuff. We'll, we'll have that available for you to see at some point if you'd like. But, but the other thing that came through was this. Um, there's some things that jumped out and were learned. Like the reality of God's church, God's kingdom is not defined by one geographical location. There is not one place that we think, oh, well, this is the place God has blessed because God has blessed the entire world. There is no place we can go to that is God forsaken because God forsakenness doesn't exist in Jesus on the cross. And so in the midst of these things, I saw that from different churches um, and different people and different backgrounds um, from the U.S. and also, also different cultures were able to gather together in ways that mattered and had value, and we were able to see that. I was thinking about how there was a common goal for our group and others to help a particular widow in a community. And we serve a God who's always for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. I was seeing love spelled out in times that were services and mealtimes, even in quiet times. And so I was thinking about how on Friday night, one of the retired general superintendents in our denomination, Dr. Jerry Porter, spoke, and he used two stories, or he told three, but I'm going to use two. They're from Luke 15, and I'm not going to read them. You can go read them if you want, but here are the two stories. In Luke 15, Jesus tells these two parables, these two stories. We've talked about them before, but, but what he says in these two stories, in one, he says this, let me tell you about this God, this particular God who pursues you. It's like this guy who has 100 sheep, and he loses one, he leaves the 99, and he goes to find the other, and he's yelling the name of the one missing sheep because he knows his sheep. And he runs after this one sheep, wanting to find it, desperately searching, and until he finds that one sheep, he keeps pursuing it, and that one sheep is you and I. And he tells another story about a father whose son, as long as a prodigal son, 
but it's really about the extravagant love of the Father, whose son takes his inheritance, wastes it, comes back and says, man, maybe I can just be at least a hired servant of my dad's, because at least those people are treated better than what I've been experiencing. And the father runs to him as soon as he sees the son turn from home. And this is who God the Father is. He pursues us. He runs to us. He desperately loves us. And so I was thinking about how would I articulate what this love of this God looks like? And what do we do in response to this love that this God pursues us? And I was thinking about how... um, it's kind of fitting that we talk about freedom this day because here's what, what um, freedom is and freedom isn't because I think sometimes we have skewed views of freedom. Total freedom where you can do whatever you want in any way you want, that's called anarchy. It is destructive to everyone. None of us want real freedom, right? You can say you do, you don't. It's anarchy. It's not valuable. It's not life-giving. It is harmful, right? It's true culturally, it's true in nations, it's true in our own lives. In fact, it's so true in our own lives that if we pursue the things that we think make us free, we find ourselves enslaved to something else. And so I was thinking about that this weekend as I was thinking about this, and so I came up across two quotes I want to share with you. And I was thinking about how true love and true sacrifice and true freedom is seen in the person of Jesus. And I'm thinking about how it's seen in the way he lays himself down. He offers himself for us. Now, you and I get this choice. We can choose to be enslaved to Jesus and his kingdom or to our own passions and desires and things that we long for. And these two quotes jumped out to me. Freedom isn't about autonomy from authority, but about liberating, loving relationships from sin. Or this quote, negative freedom. It's freedom from. It's the removal of any and all constraints on our choices. Positive freedom is freedom for. And not just permission to choose, but the power to choose what is good. You see, you and I have this choice. It's a choice we get to make. We can choose either to be enslaved to our desires, whatever they may be, Or we can choose to be enslaved to the desire of Jesus. That's the choice you and I get to make. What is going to enslave us? Because we will be enslaved. We will serve something, either our own passions and desires and longings. And if we're honest, we go to the deepest, darkest recesses of our very soul, right? Some of us, if we're really honest about what our heart's desire is, our heart's desire is probably not that good. But what if... What if there was a loving father who pursued us, who runs to us, who desires to change us, who wants to change and shape our hearts and our minds and our lives in such a way that what we run to, what we long for, what we pursue, what we become enslaved to is a radical kind of love, this kind of love that overflows, that would be willing to go to a place that no one's ever been to, to care for a widow you've never met. It would be the kind of love lay down one's life for its enemies, not just for its friends. It would be the kind of love that would pursue you no matter what you have done and say, you are welcome into my family, into my kingdom. The kind of love, this is what God desires. This is the kind of slavery that he invites us into. See, Paul writes this thing, or I, I'll never forget this. I'll tell the story probably every time, but um, years ago I was preaching a sermon and um, 
I was a youth pastor at the time, and I always laugh because there was some guy visiting the church that Sunday, and he, um, he stopped me afterward because I read Paul's words, and Paul says, I'm a slave to Christ. You can go look it up if you don't believe me. And, and he was angry at me. And all I did was read the Bible and say, are you going to choose to be a slave to Christ or a slave to yourself or your sin or whatever? I mean, I literally read, and he was mad at me, and I said, well, I'm sorry you're mad at me, but Paul wrote it. And he wasn't very happy with my response. He goes, I'm not a slave to anything. I am not a slave. I thought, oh, but you are. You and I are. We all have our own Egypt. We all have our own thing that has enslaved us, that has entrapped us. Some of you have battled addictions, and you know what that's like. Some of you have been a slave to the way other people perceive you or view you, and you care so much about that. Some of you have been slaves to your job or to your profession or even a slave to your spouse in not a good way. Some of us have been slaves to stuff that we have allowed to encapture us and take us captive. But what if, what if the reality is God so desperately loved you and I that he pursues us, he runs after us, and he desires to give us freedom, and in our freedom we choose to be enslaved to Christ. We choose in our freedom to be enslaved to Jesus and his kingdom. We choose in our freedom to be enslaved to his heart and his compassion and his mercy and to be redefined so the boundaries of our lives are him. So what if, what if this is true for us? What if the invitation isn't total freedom? Because honestly, total freedom is anarchy and it's destructive. But what if in our freedom... We choose Jesus and his love and his compassion. And what we find is this, that then God, he wants to change us. God wants to reconstruct us and the world. God wants to reconstruct us and the world. God wants to do a work in and through you and I. That is the church's mission through the person of Jesus. That God wants to reconstruct the world through his love. It's why we went to Puerto Rico. It's why we've gathered here today. It's why the church exists. This is what it looks like. And so the question for you and I is, in our freedom, what will we choose to be enslaved to? And you can tell me you're not a slave to anything, and I will call you a liar. Because you are. The question is what? What will you and I choose to be enslaved to? Will we choose the one who wants to reconstruct us and the world? Will we choose the one who loves us desperately? Because here's the reality. God wants to reconstruct you and your heart and mine. God wants to reconstruct our families and our workplaces and our homes and our neighborhoods. God wants to reconstruct our schools and our minds and what we absorb. God wants to be the one who reconstructs us You and I were created in the very image of God, and God wants to reconstruct us into his divine image. The one who pursues us with a love that cannot be contained. The one who runs after us when we know we don't deserve it. The one who says, I don't care how many already know me, if there is still one who doesn't, it is one too many, and who calls us by name. And he is calling you and I in this very moment. He's asking us this question. Will you allow me to be the shepherd of your life? 
Will you trust that I love you that much? And so here's the reality for us today. God wants to reconstruct us in this world. God wants to reconstruct us in this world. One of the coolest ways that God invites us into his reconstruction process where he redeems and restores and he makes new is he invites us to a table. It's not like any table that you and I have because most of us in our houses, there's only so many seats in my house. We only have four seats at our table. There's four people in our family. So when we have guests, we end up sitting on like ottomans and weird chairs and it just, you know, it's just random But in God's kingdom, in God's economy, there's a table that stretches as far as the eye can see. And it's crazy how this works, but there's always one more seat at the table. There's always one more seat that no matter where we are, and no matter who's around, that there just happens to be another seat. And you and I are always invited into that other seat. And everyone on the face of this earth is also invited into those seats. And in their freedom, they get to choose. Well, I choose to be invited to this table. Will I allow the boundaries of this kingdom to define me? Or I choose my own direction. So we can get to come to the table where he says, hey, just want you to know this, that my grace is sufficient for you. That no matter what you have done, no matter where you have gone, my love has pursued you and continues to pursue you. And I invite you to come to my table, to eat in my presence, to be a part of my family. And we come to this table and we accept the very grace of God and he says, I want to reconstruct you. I want to repair you, restore you. Right? Not like a house where... It gets all messed up again, and stuff's going to crumble again someday. And we might have fixed the house, but it, it's going to need fixed in another 10 years. But what if, what if I can reconstruct you in this moment and for all eternity? What if I can so change you that this becomes who you are? And he says, I want you to come to my table. I want you to know about my grace. And Jesus says, do you want to know who the Father is? He's me. Do you want to know who, who I am? Here, here's who I am. I love you enough that even on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink. And so I was thinking, what what does that mean for us, the idea that we come to this table, God reconstruct us? Well, here's what I want to say. God may need to reconstruct something in your heart today. There may be something in you, a part of you that is not defined by love that should be. There might be some aspect in your life that you're like, God, I, I know this thing needs change to me. I, I, I just am not really willing to give it up. And so I'm going to choose to be enslaved to my own ideas or my own things or my own commitments. I, I mean, I could go on a laundry list of things you might be enslaved to or that we might choose to allow to define us. But what might happen if you and I became radically defined by the love of the God who pursues us? What if we lived out the mission of Jesus? What if you and I were the people defined by the love that lays down its life even for its enemies? What just might happen in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives? What might our homes begin to look like? And so this morning as we come to the table, we're reminded of the God who says this. Even when you betrayed me, even when you have done things and your heart is wayward, I will still pursue you, but I don't want to leave you as I found you. I will bring you back and transform you. Right? The only line I'll read from Luke 15 today is this last little line. 
As I read this line, I want you to think about you and I in this. This is when the shepherd has found the sheep. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. God throws a celebration every time you and I say yes to him. And this morning, the invitation to come to the table, if you say Jesus is Lord, it's for God to throw a celebration for you and I. We pray with me and will those come who are coming to serve communion. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. We pray that you really would reconstruct us in our lives. Would you be at work in us in such a way that we would come to know you in ways that are life-giving and life-changing? We open our hearts and our minds. Will you help us as we become your people more and more? And so, Father, we desperately pursue you in this moment. We ask that you might be near to us. This morning, Father, help us to be your people. Pray this in Jesus' name.